guys, welcome back to Who's On Worst, where we talk about all the absolute trash of baseball movies out there. Uh, I am your host, Ashley McLennan. I'm joined by my co-host, Darby Robinson, and our wonderful producer, Brett Rutherford. And we are a part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. Um, we put up a poll. We've decided you guys don't get to decide our movies anymore, but you can help us narrow it down. Because when we let you decide, we end up with Airbud seventh inning fetch. But when we like hone the democratic process ever so slightly down to a small list, you end up with Mr. Baseball, which is what we have watched this past week. We decided to ask kind of a international contingent of films was our proposal for you guys this past week in voting. Uh, we gave you the option of Bad News Bears Go to Japan, which I'm sure will make its triumphant return to the voting list. Uh, Mr. Baseball and good God, I've already forgotten the third one. It was obviously very important for Darby Hell. Million Dollar Arm, which it's, million it's, dollar arm. it's fairly boring. And so forgetting it is fairly accurate. Yeah. Well, speaking of boring, um, and I know that there are going to be some folks listening to this that are mad at me, but if the worst thing I say about your favorite baseball movie is that it was a little bit of a yawner, uh, you haven't been paying attention to this podcast because I could say much, much meaner things. So we did talk about 1992's Mr. Baseball, or we're going to talk about, I suppose, is the more accurate way to put that, um, featuring Tom Selleck. And Darby, tell us a little bit about the premise and general online consensus about this film. So yeah, Mr. Baseball, uh, the it did not do well uh, in terms of both box office and critical review. It actually is getting just a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, from the critics, uh, 41% audience score, both well in the negative, which honestly is a little more negative than I think is yeah. deserved for this film. Uh, but we'll get into that. So let's uh, start off with the synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes. A professional American baseball player whose career is on the wane, Jack Elliott, Tom Selleck, gets traded to the Dragons, a Japanese team. Openly unhappy about the change, Elliot isn't eager to adapt to a new culture and proceeds to get on the bad side of his teammates, including one other American, Max Hammer Dubois, played by Dennis Haysbert. Eventually, Elliot decides to make a real effort, attempting to improve his game and his attitude, but will it be enough to help lead his team to victory? Whoa, there's some spoilers there. I feel like his turnaround was kind of the major crux of this it, movie, but yeah. sure, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, I don't make the rules. It's, there you go. Um, Yeah, so the movie, it's fine. <laughs> it's yeah. fine. It's totally fine. If this is your favorite baseball movie, fine. It, I, I, sure. I feel like if this is your favorite baseball movie, it's because you saw it like when it came out and it wasn't a giant steaming pile of crap. And therefore you kind of like latched onto it and you're like, yay, a good baseball movie. And I feel like that's the only reason this would be anyone's I, favorite. I feel like if we had watched this after some of the worst ones that we saw so far in this series, I think I would have been like, this might be the greatest baseball movie ever because it's it it's really quite fine. And actually, one a lot of the things that I was coming into this expecting to yeah. 
because I had never seen this movie before watching this for the show. Um, I saw the trailer and I knew the premise of, you know, American baseball player goes to Japan and like kooky hijinks ensue. And I was really, especially because it's like 1992, I'm like, okay, this time I'm going to, Japan is still this like exotic, ooh, what's going on over there uh, type of like setting in like American media that I was really expecting some cringy, very not aged well, like Asian stereotypes and humor. And I was very pleasantly impressed that not, Really, there was nothing, there was no real, like there is nothing as close to like uh, the, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's with Mickey Rooney's character. There's nothing like Long Duck Dong from uh, 16 Candles. There, There is none of like that, like horrifically, like in watching now, like I can't, this is really bad yeah. type of things. It's, it's actually oddly, so comedically, this movie is incredibly light and that's where it kind of is a little dull. It's more of a drama than a comedy, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's like it's like it's a situational soft drama cuz nothing happens that I would consider to be like drama drama. It also isn't a true romantic film. Like there's a romantic plot to it, but unlike Summer Catch, they didn't really like over attempt to force that as the main plot. And they definitely like if you're looking at all the posters and all of the stuff like that, the romantic subplot is not the the key or even really heavily featured in any of the the promotional material which is good because that's kind of the level it should be at but I would say yeah it's really really light on the comedy um and like it it's it kind of like soft toes a whole bunch of lines like it it wants to be a bunch of different things which is going to be I think a pretty common thread for a lot of our movies that it, it kind of wants to be a comedy but it never really is. And it kind of wants to be a drama, but it never really is. And what it ends up being is a perfectly fine Sunday rainy afternoon watch that you're not going to feel bad about having sat through. If, if you're a huge Tom Selleck fan, I think this movie is a solid vehicle. He's, if your mom it's... is a huge Tom Selleck fan, <laughs> she will very much enjoy watching this with you because he is both shirtless and pantless a fair bit in this Lots film. Lots of... Lots of Selleck buns in this movie. Yeah. Just get Lots of Selleck back. Out. I think it was just a lot of bare back. No, I don't mean that in a really like creepy way, but like literally <laughs> his back is bare quite a bit yes. in this movie. This, this is, uh, if you do watch this with your mom, just be very uncomfortable at how much she laughs when he use the phrase mustache ride. Just, <laughs> just be like, I don't, I don't love how much you enjoyed that, mom. Um, definitely gonna hurt our relationship going forward. Uh, yeah, so it's it's not hit. It's far from Selleck's best work. It's 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 far from everybody in this movie's best work. But it's definitely not bad. And I think the fact that the dr the drama is low stakes, the romantic plot is low stakes, the comedy is kind of there occasionally, but never really. I think that's where the film really is at its worst, is just that everything is just kind of at like a five. You know, like C. Everything it, yeah. is at like a five out of 10. And it, I think that that's it, never really commits to being one thing so or the other. Solid 225 hitter. Lots Absolutely. of singles. Yeah. Just a lot of singles, very low power, low on base percentage. Just I I'm not gonna try to like cut you, but like 
I'm batting you eighth. It's, it's like a you're 50, 60 grade, like nothing. maybe maybe you can do some glove and not hurt yeah. you too bad in the field. Like a two-tool um, player. The film, I think one of the biggest issues is there is some really good stuff in this movie. And I think the setting in Japan in the in the Nippon leagues is actually really quite interesting. And and I think it really saves it that I think the the baseball in it, and we will talk a little bit more detail about the actual baseball and how that's filmed and the stadiums and all of that setting, because I think that works pretty well. And everybody in this movie looks the part and they didn't have to do any like quick cuts to save people. Tom Selleck looks like a, like a, like a baseball player. He looks like a aged kind of on the last legs first base eighties, late eighties era baseball player. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He absolutely looks like late stage Don Mattingly at the plate. Uh, Dennis Haysbert, who's in this, who's, you know, three years ago, he's breaks out uh, in another baseball movie, a much better baseball movie in major league is Pedro Serrano obviously looks the part. He looks great. He can swing a bat, at least on film. Uh, all of the, uh, they actually, in the credits, they actually do have some ex-players from the, the the Japanese leagues in this movie in various roles. So there there's like some good baseball stuff in it. It's just a lot of the story and the plot. It just takes a long time to get going. Yeah. It takes a long time to get where it needs to go. And where it gets to is fine. Mm -hmm. It's just, it, it's a, it's, it's feels a lot longer than it's an hour and 47 minute movie. It feels like over two hours. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it feels very long. A lot of the scenes are much longer than they need to be. Like a lot of the scenes, especially away from baseball, um, especially between like Jack and Hiroko, I think are especially drawn out. I think they're really trying to lean into that romantic subplot in those parts. And it's never like, there's not a ton of chemistry there. Mm-hmm. And you don't really, I don't think you really get one. I don't get why she would like him. That's the thing that kills me the entire time. Like he's kind of an asshole to her. Oops, we're gonna mark yeah. that one. Um, <laughs> sorry, Brent. It's a good thing he's, you're on the podcast. He's he's very much like a man child, mm-hmm. uh, right? So like we're introduced to Jack Elliot. Uh, First of all, in a in a dream sequence, which I was like, I hope this is not how the baseball is shot in this movie. It's mm-hmm. very weird, like very spotlight, every, like very mysterious. But then it's a dream sequence and you're like, okay, that actually was kind of cool stylized. And it's where he's striking, he uh, he strikes out, but then the umpire tells him to get back into the box. Yeah. And it's strike four, strike five. Also, second movie we've done with uh, T- Tim McCarver and, and um, Bob Costas. Yeah. So they are recurring now. Um, and yeah, so he has this dream sequence and he wakes up and he's uh, naked in a sorority house, which... I sincerely hope that was a sorority house <laughs> it's because a, it's a, it's it was... A weird setting. He, it, he, he's kind of like he wakes up next to this girl covered in a giant teddy bear. And yeah. she knocks... Like a the, small twin size bed. Yeah. Like and a she very small knocks massive teddy bear off herself and she's like oh hangover and then he like wanders off to the bathroom but as it pans out there's like 14 girls sleeping in this like sorority barracks and it's it's like un, i don't it was uncomfortable like didn't, i can't didn't love it 
Don't, can't I, claim to know what sorority houses are like because I was never in one. Shocking to all of you, I know. Um, but it didn't look right to me. A naked Tom Selleck, uh, completely buck naked Tom yeah. Selleck walking through a field of sleeping girls is not how I would have started my baseball booty, but I think you know he, what? He was supposed <laughs> to look like a big stud, but Mem Darby, how old was he in that scene? You did the math. I think he's for me, 47 at, at the time of this movie in 1992. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. Tom Selleck has looked the exact same age for conservatively 40 years. Yeah. So I, it's hard to like play. So he doesn't look necessarily very old, but he does look like an older, he looks much too old to be in that setting. In I guess that's, house. Yeah. I guess that's the comedy is the juxtaposition of that. But if that like scene had else, been in flat. like summer catch and you pan on it, it was like five of the guys had all hooked up with a sorority girl. And like, mm-hmm. there were like, somebody's like, oh guys, we gotta get to practice. And like everybody jumps out of the bed and is like running out the door. That would have played much more true to, I think what they were trying to emphasize there. That's a better punch up of a joke too. Yeah. Then one, one of the sorority girls hooking up with a, a Yankee and everybody else just sleeping in the same room is very weird. It's creepy. Yeah. Also, I, I so I, full disclosure, I'm on this episode, but I did not watch the full movie, but I did get through this scene and like Jack Elliott, you're a Yankee and you've been a big leaguer for a long time and you know, whatever, fully consenting adults, but college girls still like, yeah. is that still in your repertoire? Like maybe move on to something else. You're, you're an older guy at this point. He says in a scene, not too long after this, that he was the world series MVP. And I, I gotta think that like you Him and, would, Air and somebody does ask, I think one of like the, the first things he gets asked when he's in Japan is, did you sleep with Madonna? Um, and and I, like, honestly, that's the caliber he should have been at if he was a world series MVP playing with the New York Yankees. Yankee, New York Yankee. This is like, yeah, there is a, to, to, to not like to put a too fine a point on it, but like think of the, the, the series of women and gift baskets that Derek Jeter is so famous for. Madonna included, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but maybe. It was either him or A-Rod. That, it was either Jeter or A-Rod. It was one of the I think two. it might have been A-Rod. Oh, very, always competitive. It feels more I'll like search. an A-Rod. But, you guys keep but, but that's the type, like it's, you're talking about like at that level, right? If you are yeah. like a young starlet, you're gonna, your, your grade is Yankee. It's, well, it's not Cincinnati Red. It's a New York Yankee. It's yeah. the captain. It's not Sh- you know Shane Spencer of the Yankees. It's Jeter. And for the same, there is a level of like, so yeah, it feels like maybe that's uh that should have been played off more as like a pathetic thing where it's like, this is how he's fallen. Is he this is the best yeah. he's got? Because like Aero dated Cameron Diaz. Like, let's be real here. Like the the caliber, I think Jeter was dating Minka Kelly from Friday Night Lights. Like, yeah, yeah. Like the, these are he should not be sleeping with a 19-year-old sorority girl. That's a that that's point. a very Nick Swisher move, I feel Ooh, like. This is but even Nick yeah. Swisher, who did he get married to? That girl from Reba, I think. So even yeah, even then, even then, Jack Elliott added a cute actress. To... This is this is why yeah. this is why Jack Elliott is on the outs with the Yankees. Besides, he, also failing. he just can't get the right caliber of ladies in no, his downtime. This is, it's, this is a real thing it's that I feel embarrassment. Like, yeah, it could be. So discussing it, but he gets to the park and there's a new hotshot rookie. 
Yeah, basically uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Smashing, smashing balls at first base, which is his position. And then he uh, he gets called into the manager's office and they inform him that he has been traded. Oh, no. Well, the, so the way they did it, I thought was kind of interesting. They said, you know what, this is what's happening, but we figured we would put your name out there and let you pick what trade you would take. And then he's just like, oh, okay, well, like, let me now, like, tell me, tell me what it is. Is it bad? Is it Canada? Tell me it's not Cleveland. I'm going to pay those Canadian taxes. No Canadian taxes, man. And and then it kind of gets, it it goes down from there. And what the crux of it ends up being is that no MLB teams were interested in him. And he has only received interest from a Japanese team. Now, I'm not the smartest person when it comes to trade season. Is that even allowed? Like, I know you can ask for your release and be released by your team to go play in one of the, like, the Asian leagues. That's absolutely happened. Um, I've never heard of a player being traded to a different country's league. There... So if you had the rights, so the Yankees still probably had Jack under contract. If the player wants to go overseas, then the team still owns the rights. They can work out like a trade with them for like a, you know, some monetary amount. Usually what you're talking about is more just the player wanting to go and more of like a business thing. It's not so much like a, I mean, I guess if you had, like, if it was like a Fernando Tatis or like Aaron Judge was like, I just really want to go to the KBO and just annihilate some pitches, that Yankees would be like, I would need a lot for that. Like, that's a crazy thing to do. Um, but most of the time, yeah, it's like if you're under contract or something, it's more like the team will be like, yeah, absolutely. Well, you are a fringe player here. Yeah. And you want to go overseas because there's, I mean, that's, we've seen this countless times. Like Eric Thames went uh, to the KBO and had an amazing uh, run over there. He's even on the, the, the Korean version of uh, the masked singer and came back to, to the MLB to, you know, still have some success, but like going overseas is a pretty good career path for a lot of people. Some people just decide to like make, make their career over there as like, Oh yeah. like I was just thinking, like I knew there was a years ago there was a Tigers pitcher who asked for and received his unconditional release from the team, and he was the guy that was like fringe, you know, minor league kind of a you know taxi squad kind of dude. Um, and I know that's not uncommon, but I feel like the way that this happened is relatively unusual. Yeah, I don't think it passes the official sniff test. Yeah. But if anybody does know a bit more about that type of stuff. Let us know. Please do, because I'd be very interested to know if there's ever been a situation like that where somebody under a major league contract who wants to stay in the major leagues, um, or in MLB, I should say specifically, because obviously these are major leagues in other countries as well. Um, But anyone who is playing it with the MLB and got traded to like KBO or the Nippon League, um, I I cannot think for my life of of an example of it. And I would love to know if there was one. So if there is, please, I, I welcome it and we'll talk about the next podcast. Um, the other thing that I had to bring up in this one section that didn't pass the sniff test to me, and I don't know if that's just because I'm so used to clean shaven Yankees, are mustaches allowed? 
They are. So oh. you have to, so there is a certain, there are the part of the standard is no beards on the Yankees, clearly. That's their big thing. Uh, mutton chops in a very controlled way. Um, and hair can has to be in a somewhat controlled way. But yeah, mustaches are allowed. So that's the only facial hair you can have is a mustache. Kind of surprised we don't see more mustaches on the present Yankees. What, you know, it's... I would like to see more people bring it back. Just like oh. look like a solid. Just to, just to kind of like toe the line of appropriateness, right? Because like the whole thing that we now, I think generally assume with the Yankees is no facial hair. So like mm-hmm. a guy with a big beard joins and you're like, sorry, buddy, off with the beard. But I'd like to see a guy with a big beard join and just like, just leave the stash. Just get the mustache. Yeah. Get yeah, that stash I going. feel like we should see more of that. I would approve. Why not? That. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so so Jack Elliott gets traded to Japan to the Kanichi Dragons. Uh, what I did find that was interesting is they did have like they they used real uh, Nippon League stadiums. They mm-hmm. use real Japanese league stadiums. They use real Japanese teams. The Kanichi Dragons are you know a very real team. They they're they are heated rivals of the Yamiuri Giants. This is. What I found that I thought this movie did really quite well was that they treat the Japanese leagues as a serious deal. Mm-hmm. As a re- these are this is not a like American player coming over here just to just crush it. easy peasy. This is so below. Like these are professional. Like we at the time, I don't know how much if any, like knowledge of the Nippon Leagues, a lot of American, you know, sports fans would have. Now we obviously know a lot more after, you know, so many talented Hideki Matsui and Ichiro and these, um, and, and right now Shohei, Shohei Otani. Otani yeah. uh, like these amazing, great MLB players who were also, you know, legends in the Nippon League before coming over. They were sort of showcasing like, this is a widely considered that the Nippon League is is like the, the the highest level of foreign baseball just below the MLB. So so you have MLB and you have like Nippon League as like a really, you know, fairly comparable. It's not Major League Baseball. That is the, the highest of that, but it is the best of the best of foreign baseball. Yeah. And so it, it's treated like that. So he it's a big deal that he's going over there you know, former World Series MVP of the Yankees. That's, that makes sense. And, you know, immediately we're paired with uh, his, his interpreter. Yoji. Who's going to, Yoji, who is going to try to save him from uh, international incidents. Yeah. And, and, and make sure he takes his, his uh, smarmy, sarcastic answers and, you know, twists them nicely into uh, how, you know, to ways that'll play well with the Japanese media. Yoji is absolutely the one comedy aspect of this movie that really works for me um, because he's not played as like, that's the thing I really like. It just does a little segue. The thing that I loved about Jack arriving in Japan is that Jack is treated as the fool and it's yes. not look at all these weird traditions and things that people over here do. Look how silly this is. Look at it's him not understanding the way the culture works but he's the one who is constantly looking foolish for not understanding that. And I think the that joke that's is on him. Exactly. And I think that's kind of a rare thing in like a fish out of water, you know, in a foreign land kind of movie is that usually everyone else is made to look ridiculous. And the American is spotlighting that 
because, oh, how look how different this is from, from where I come from. And I think Yoji is a really good example of that because he's immediately assigned as, as Jack's interpreter. I love that they call him an interpreter right out the gate. They don't use like the translator. They don't do the whole, like, you know, they get it right. And he, you can see how shell-shocked poor Yoji is right off the boat, like right, just right out the gate. He's like, oh, this guy's going to make my job such a pain. And it, it's, it's charming the way they start to work together. And it's really, really funny to me every time Jack says something super inappropriate after they've come to their agreement, where he's like, you're just going to say it the way I say it. And there's no questions because he'll say something like Jack will say something truly heinous. I think one of my favorites, the stupidest one is it ain't over till the fat lady sings and poor Yoji <laughs> sitting there going, I don't know. He's just like, when it is all done, a fat woman will sing to us. And I'm like, like it, it, it's the one genuine place I think where the humor actually really works because you can see how uncomfortable it makes Yoji to have to translate things verbatim when what he wants to do is make sure everybody feels respected and honored and that like tradition is upheld. And he's really trying to toe that line between what feels culturally right to him and what his taskmaster, so to speak, in Jack mm -hmm. has told him to do. And I thought that that was really well done. I, I think the the entering into Japan and, and being introduced to the team and all of that, I think one of the one of the great things you mentioned there is the fact that the, the butt of the joke is usually on Jack because he is played as like kind of insufferable. He's mm -hmm. such a, he's just way too old to be this childish. And so the fact that all of the other characters sort of treat him as such and the fact that you have like a scene later on where um, Hiroko, uh, who becomes the, the main love interest, who uh, kind of asks him out on a date for a business opportunity, which we'll eventually find out that she works with a marketing firm and tries to market the American player uh, in commercials and sets him up with some commercials. Uh, they, she takes him out to a restaurant. And I, I was really, I was expecting a lot of, again, Japanese cuisine being still sort of new to North American, a lot of, at least popular culture wise in the early nineties, like now, like every, every city no matter how big will have a sushi restaurant yeah, so it's 12, not like that yeah. or 12 yeah so it's not like it's uh, an exact like ooh, ramen and sushi and and like japanese beef and all this stuff the fact that i was expecting like a live octopus or something you know like again i was expecting something more broad and stupid and silly and basically putting the joke on like wow what a what a they eat this over here yeah but instead it's jack the 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 dumb brute uh who's uncultured going over there being like oh i don't want to eat bait you know your live fish and then he served a, a a beautiful slice of kobe beef and she talks about one of the themes of the movie which she you know spills out basically is like japan takes the best from the world and makes it her own so they have they have cattle and beef but they do it better they have and now baseball is something, because that is sort of the idea is that the baseball is introduced to Japan years, you know, years after it was introduced to North America, but they have fully embraced it as, as yeah. a national sport. So it wasn't theirs originally, but they have embraced that. And so it's sort of a, a multicultural or, or kind of cultural assimilation type of thing into their own. 
And that joke about the cuisine is entirely on Tom Selleck yeah. rather than on Japan. And I think that's an interesting, I, there's a good restraint. So throughout the movie, that's basically the, everything, the characters that are mocking Japan are not characters that you're supposed to root for or agree with. So it's like, okay, that person's saying it. And then you even have the other American. So when he gets to the clubhouse, they're, you know, saying you have to take off your shoes. And he's like, what is it? And he's, you know, trying to put his big feet into, you know, the slippers. Tiny little slippers, yeah. But then you get introduced to Max, Dennis Haysbert's character. Uh, the other American, the other Gaijin playing uh, baseball with the Kenichi Dragons. And he is sort of saying like, he he's helps to kind of introduce him as a, like an American to an American that the they're it's going to be different it might be strange to you but it's not necessarily wrong yeah. and and that's i think a good lesson of the movie which we get towards the end which is it's different you have to adapt and this character of jack has to grow up anyway so this is actually a perfect opportunity and experience for him to grow up yeah and i think i think it does a lot of things it really tweaks i think your expectations especially watching it in 2021 I think mm -hmm. like you, I went in expecting a lot of really poorly thought out cultural jokes. I genuinely thought, because I've never seen it before either. I figured they would find, you know, some random blonde expat to be like, you know, his, his person about town. And so that he could avoid having any kind of an interracial relationship and find the only other American woman. And that would be his love interest because that feels something really specifically 80s that Hollywood would love to do. Um, and I was really relieved they didn't do that because Hiroko's a really interesting character and she kind of like surprises you throughout the entire movie like she's like let's go out for dinner and it's because she wants to have a business opportunity and then she's like let's go meet my parents and we'll talk about that a little later because that's a big twist that kind of throws things in the, the loop. And then my favorite, I think, was that like, he's like, well, towards the end of the movie, he gets an opportunity to maybe go back and play for the Dodgers because he's been raking in Japan and his, his such a creepy agent with the ponytail, Doc. Um, what a <laughs> creep. Um, Not great. Um, is like, hey, man, we've seen what you do. We're going to get you back in here just in time for the next weekend series. Pack your bags. You're going home. And, and Hiroko's like, nah, man, like, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, you could come with me. And she's like, mm, this brother, I've got like a whole career going here. I don't want to be one of those bleacher bimbos uh, or Bambies, as she said, which was very <laughs> cute. Um, and I think that the cool part of that at the end is that like, you see that she does maintain herself as like a fully formed human character. Like she is sitting in the bleachers at the end. And we'll talk about that later. Cause I think it's she nice. Has a flip, she has a flip cell She's phone. She's got a flip cell says phone. Things. Says business says, things. Uh, well, I'll fax that to you later. Yeah. It's like, ah, she's, she's still running stuff. She's, she's doing still, business she's still things. Got it. I guess Which it's fine. It's, it's totally fine. They couldn't fine. have it's... given her a whole drafting board out there watching her like, <laughs> right. you know, do graphic design at a baseball game. I think that might've been excessive, but. But it, it gave us enough. It gave us enough to showcase like, yes. Yeah. So she's, she's over there, but on her own volition because. And it's, it's something that they do establish that it's not like he's taken her out of Japan against her will. Like she does say at their first dinner, how much she wants to get back to America because she went she to Parsons and she yeah. really does like the U.S. and wanted to go back, but she wanted to do it on her terms. Um, so yeah, Hiroko, I thought was a really good addition. Um, there's not, the thing is that there's not a lot to take apart in this movie. Like 
there's these extremely long scenes of Jack and Hiroko having discussions. And then in between them, he acts like a tool and Mm -hmm. says things to her that should make her want to run away from all of the red flags, in my humble opinion. But I guess what we find out kind of towards the, the latter third of the movie is that the reason I think she feels like there's hope for Jack and that she kind of views Jack as a project is that he reminds her of her dad. Mm-hmm. and not in that he's 47 and so he's probably the, <laughs> the exact same age. father um so i'm gonna do we'll just get into the twist the twist yes. as it were um which i think jack, worked really well which i, I, I liked yeah so jack gets suspended from the team for his behavior um and in that same suspension the team's manager or chief uchiyama uh, who is a former superstar player in his own right. Multiple with, time MVP. And the the Japanese record for most consecutive games with home runs, mm-hmm. uh, which is an important point later on. Um, he is also suspended temporarily until they can find somebody new. Um, so it's an indefinite suspension for the both of them. So Jack, not wanting to dwell, sitting in the city, gets to go out for a drive with, with his, his lady love. And they show up at her parents' house or her father's house, because I believe her mother has passed away is what they've kind of established. And Hiroko introduces Jack to her father, Uchiyama, who is the chief of the the baseball team. So the second it didn't click right away because he he always wore the low hat. And like, I couldn't like make out his face when he was in the dugout as well. So I'm just like, oh, oh, that's surprising. Um, and so her main goal in bringing them together is to have them learn to communicate with each other. And you find out Uchiyama is, you know, fluent in English and was just being yes. a turd the entire time pretending. He, he yeah, he, it. to this point in the film, the first, you know, two thirds of the movie or so, he never speaks in English. He always is using Yoji to like kind of look to him. And yeah, so this is the nice reveal that he actually does understand him. And, what I love is that nobody else knows. Like Max has team, no, no idea. Nobody else on the team has ever had that encounter with him. And so it leads to- There's a great to... line. There's a great line though about that where Jack sort of is like, you know, you like, and he, and he basically talks, basically Uchiyama sort of says like, it's not up to me to adapt yeah. to you. I'm the manager. This is Japan. This is my team. It's up to you to adapt to me. And I think that's like, like, that is a very fair point. Like he is, he is towards the end of the movie. What needs to happen is both Jack and Uchiyama have to kind of learn to grow together, both of their styles. But I think there is like, it makes more sense though, coming from like, he is the manager. He is the guy that's the big shot in Japan. He, and I do, I, I think that's a, I think it's played well. I get, I get that character. I get, understand why he is the way he is. Yeah. It does lead to what for me is the most uncomfortable scene in the entire movie um, where they're having dinner and it's, it's Jack and, and they're sitting around the table and it's, it's her grandparents and Uchiyama and they're eating noodles. It's a tr- traditional Japanese dinner that the grandmother has made. And it involves slurping noodles, but like you dip a small amount of noodles into like a sauce and then you slurp them. And so Jack is watching this entire procession and the the loud slurping noises, which is awful enough. I I mean, I don't want to like, but it's so hard to listen to if you're not in the process of eating. 
It was but, disgusting. But then what happens is that Hiroko's just like, no, 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 it's polite. Go ahead. Because he looks very concerned. But oh my, oh, I've never cringed so hard as to like, he goes right into the big bowl with the biggest mouthful of noodles I've ever seen. And just the loudest, most appalling slurping. I, oh, everyone around the, the whole... table. Just, it, I know, I just, I cringed. I cringed so badly. Like, oh, it was the... so uncomfortable. <laughs> I made a, I made a note that the noodle scene made me ill. Yeah. It was, but from start to finish, to be perfectly honest, because it is just. The beginning part didn't bother it. me as much. Like, it, it was just the family. I'm like, I don't love that sound. I don't love it. But when Jack was doing it, like every hair on my body stood on end and I was just in like a fight or flight mode. I was just ready for the scene to end. The second it started, I was like, I can't take this slurping. This is so bad. And yeah, so, but right. So it's the, it's the scene where it's again, trying to be, I guess that was a joke, but. If it was meant to be played for funny, it was just all the, it was so badly done. And then there's a, a fight and Uchiyama and Jack kind of start going at each other. And, and Hiroko's just like, I've had enough of you two. I'm mm-hmm. going. And then walks out of the house. And Jack's like, WTF lady, you're my ride. And Uchiyama's like, oh, bro, if you didn't realize that this was her plan the entire time, you clearly don't know my daughter at all. And then it launches into, in classic early 90s fashion, a training montage. Because why yes. not? in which the two of them start working together. One, so that Jack becomes, you know, a contributing player to the team, but also becomes Uchiyama learning from Jack, in a sense, what he can do differently as a manager to get more out of his team. So early in the film, uh, Jack comes in and he's just completely has, like he is resistant to learning or adapting in any way. So there's different ways that the Junichi dragons train and they're all strange and funny to Jack and he doesn't want to do it. And so then he takes charge of like getting to lead a training and he mocks the whole thing. And basically he is just completely flipping of it. And then in the batting cage, he's just raking and crushing balls. And then, uh, they basically decide to be like, okay, now you think you're, you think you're all great. Let's actually throw you something that like we got over here. Like, because that's the big key. If you haven't watched any Nippon league or watched any Japanese, you know, players that have come over. One of the biggest things that you'll see is that potentially besides Shohei Otani, velocity is not going to be like the biggest thing. They're not going to necessarily be like throwing one-on-one, but but you Darvish sort of proved he had great velocity, but so many different pitches, so many different pitch shapes, so much movement, so much creativity, just unbelievable art form of pitching where it will come from every which angle and be breaking all over. And it's so hard to hit a guy who has like seven different types of pitches that can use all of them effectively. And basically Jack can't hit some of the 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 screwballs and sliders and curves that are that are thrown at him and it's because Uchiyama says he has a hold in the swing and it's throughout the whole thing that he he is kind of telling him like every and it, and at the dinner the grandfather even says you have a hole in your swing 
Well, even poor Yoji is just like, adapt your, put your wisdom. He's just like, furious about it half the time because he just won't listen. Um, but yeah, it's that he's unwilling to accept constructive criticism because he believes, hey, I've, you know, I'm World Series MVP. I've been doing this for decades. There's nothing wrong with it. Look, I can get the ball out of the park. Um, and then he, slowly- he, there's a there's a line earlier in the film that kind of relates to that where he when he before he gets traded or when he's getting informed that he's traded that he says i led the team in ninth inning doubles in the month of august yeah which is like (laughs) just really a it's like a prime baseball player like trying to focus in on a stat that really makes him look good my other favorite line in the movie is when he's first doing the training in japan with with max and he's like watching them do all these ridiculous moves and he's just like we're baseball players not athletes and i'm just like oh yeah that's just a solid one-liner right there and it's so good and except i mean they're more athletic than i'll ever be in my life like i'm i I don't doubt that for a second but like let's be real here a lot of baseball players are not like athletes like you know what i mean so anyway i thought that was a cute line um let's take a very quick pause and then I think we should come back and talk about the baseball because I have something very specific about the ball. It's like the baseball aspect of this itself that I want to get into um, that I think was really the one biggest success of this movie. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. So Darby kind of alluded to this at the beginning of the episode. And I, I really do want to focus a bit on the baseball aspects because while they are kind of few and far between for a movie called Mr. Baseball, um, this movie did something really tremendous that ties in really closely to stuff we've talked about in the past as being kind of successful movie fodder for baseball movies. We saw it in Fever Pitch. We saw it in Rookie of the Year. And I think what this movie did so well was the crowd stuff. So one, I've never been more hungry watching a baseball movie in my entire life than watching this movie because I think, I don't know if they were trying to point out how funny, like, like food in Japanese baseball stadiums is or like what they were trying to do but every time they would pan to a big crowd shot it would be people eating like ramen out of bowls and like sushi and I'm just like I want to go to a baseball game where I can have ramen that sounds amazing um and the other thing that they did at the same time was these really great out of stadium shots so you got like four or five groups of people that were kind of like your set baseball fans, obviously for the limitations of how many people you could shoot B-roll of, but it was like people in like a candy shop or a little old man and like what looked like a sauna. Um, and it was like these very specific groups of fans paying such close attention to these games, either listening to them or watching them on TV. And I thought that that was just like a really great way to emphasize how important baseball was to that entire country and like how closely people were paying attention to their chosen teams and these just enormous massive crowd shots of like balloons and noisemakers and just things that you don't even see that level of enthusiasm in American crowds like it's it it was just such a well-done representation of how much Japan loves baseball and that I thought was easily one of my favorite parts of the whole movie i i completely agree it's it really makes me as we kind of as travel and stuff starts to become like at least on the horizon something that like is possible it it desperately makes me want to go to japan and to see a baseball game 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's been on like my bucket list that I, I just, I desperately want to go. And I love the fact that the film really did, like you said, it just captured the fact that baseball is important, that baseball, there's a, there's a great line where, where Selleck, uh, where Jack Elliott has like, you know, big thing of chew in his mouth and he's spitting on the, he's both chew and sunflower seeds. So he's spitting a lot, you know, classic baseball stuff. And he, he's in the batting cage and he's spitting on, on the ground and people are upset at him. His team's upset at him. And Yoji sort of says like, you do, or no, Max says, you don't spit because uh, the field is sacred. Field is and, and Jack says like, okay, well, that's at least one thing that we, you know, they got right. And it's, it, it's treated like that. It is treated like they're, people are glued in. They are coming to a stop. This is an important thing. Jack is important. The team is important. Beating the Giants is important. And I just love the fact that unlike, we, we mentioned this in the scout where like the food scene and like the, in the, when he goes down to the Mexican leagues is like treated as this really just gross level of, of, of kind of very like overt racism of like, oh, what are they doing down here? This, I thought the shots of the crowd and the scenes is so opposite. It's such a beautiful celebration of just like these, the atmosphere is crazy. There's cheerleaders, there's music, there's like- Teddy it's, bears it's, after home runs. Yeah, and teddy bears and uh, and um, flowers. And uh, it's like, there is a huge amount of like atmosphere. And now that we're seeing baseball back in, in Major League Baseball in the year 2021 with some fans in the stands, and how much of a difference that has made with with you know social distancing and and some fans returning to the stands, how amazing that is to see a movie like this that sees these, you know, packed crowds and and everybody in the country glued in and locked into it is just really cool to see. So that just like makes me feel very, you know, th those are the things that it's like what makes baseball romantic, and I think yeah. that worked really well in this movie. Whereas the romantic subplot worked fine, it was okay. The the baseball romance in this movie, I think, really settled. And there, and the fact that Jack does actually care about baseball and being yeah. a ball player, that actually worked. Yeah, I think once he kind of gets over himself a little, and like he stops resisting the idea of being a part of the dragons. He's very much throughout the first, you know, half of the movie, I'd say even, he's clearly, he's getting that attitude. I don't want to be here. I'm better than this. I'm better than all of you. And so naturally nobody on the team likes him. Nobody wants to be a part of that with him. They're losing to their biggest rivals. And it, it's because there's not a cohesive. He is kind of a clubhouse cancer because he's, he's in, he's not following what everybody else is doing. He tends to like, push himself to the point of being an absolute nuisance and and I think that what happens when he flips that switch and he, he and Uchiyami start working together is, is that he sees the value in being there and he sees that it's good for him and and I think that that's something that Jack can understand is that like something that's positive for him is something that's worth paying attention to and and I think that that's where the real change happens so he is still kind of a selfish jerk but at the same time, he's learning a lesson that helps others. And it, it makes him kind of become more of a cohesive part of that team. It makes leadership like him more. 
there's a running gag throughout the entire movie, which is the good old hot shoe, which is mm-hmm. an absolutely a real baseball thing. Um, and it, it's great because you first see it when he's with the Yankees and they've got a guy up from the minor leagues for his cup of coffee. And Jack's like, don't, and it's clearly like a tradition with the guys for the new guys. Right. So that he, he's sitting there, he's like, don't worry. It's just a game. You always got to remember, just have fun. And then all of a sudden the guy jumps up yelping and his, his shoes on fire. And so he, he tries the same thing with the captain of the the dragons team who is a guy who's i want to call him mookie because he calls him mookie at one point and i can't remember his actual name but it's stuck because of mookie bats i think it's like moochie or like it what is it i think it's moki it's mukai it's mukai and he's like this very serious dude who's captain of the team and obviously wants no part in jack being there and so jack sits down with this pretense of wanting to make peace where he's just like hey man like here's what i want to do and you know I, I, it's and it's the worst possible timing because he's just in the midst of this game where he's proven himself to be the biggest like jerk on the face of the planet nothing is going right he should not be playing jokes or like making himself any more the focus of attention at this point and what he does is he lights Mukai's shoe on fire in the midst of this, trying to get a, a laugh out of it, trying to get people to light, lighten up a little bit, but like the worst possible game to do it in. So nobody's having any of it. And then after the whole training montage, after everybody's kind of come together and we've had these turns of character, Mukai comes up to him and is like, you know, sits down and he's given him a bit of a speech about like, you know, what it means to be a part of the team and welcoming onto the team. And it, the whole process is just like this perfect, like bookend because as he's having this conversation, somebody is lighting Jack's shoe on fire. And I'm like, that's, that's cute. Like that's, it's taking something that's very real and absolutely something we have seen real baseball players do in dugouts and like making it like this, this path to acceptance. And I thought that that was actually a really cute way to do that. Yeah, I, I liked that there is this, as the, as the film goes on, there's certain things that Jack mentions in the differences between Japanese baseball and American baseball. And the sense of like, okay, well, in, the, in MLB, you know, people are going to like take risks. They're going to take an extra base. They're going to dive for catches. They're going to do a, a hard slide a second to break up a double play. But in Japan, that he's he's being explained that you know that's that you don't do that you play it safe you don't try to do you that show you up don't anyone. you don't show up anybody you don't you know try for that like injury play you don't try to to bring shame to the team and so what I like that the film does as you know you kind of as there's this training as he's learning how to incorporate himself into the team that there the team does do a little bit of a shift like they we do see in the final game with the Yamiuri Giants we do see a nice diving catch from from Mukai we see uh some extra bases taken you know people people going you know second to third and and you know uh we see after Jack gets hit by a pitch and the pitcher doesn't tip his cap, or he does, but in a, in a sarcastic, it was a sarcastic doffing of the cap. Jack is not the one that charged the mound, like he does earlier in the film. After not realizing that when you get hit by a pitch and the pitcher tips his cap, he's just saying like, "Look, I'm sorry, like, ball just I wasn't meaning to do that." 
this this Giants pitcher was absolutely meaning to do that. The whole team, the whole Dragons run out and uh, have a nice benches clearing, you know, kerfuffle. And what I like is that it's not that the team has to learn Jack's way and the American way to win. Because in the very, uh, like the very last, the climax of the film or the baseball action, we get a repeat scene again, like a good, a good story that's, you know, getting that repeat action is the, but actually I need to set it up because we mentioned it earlier. Are you talking about the bunch? We're talking about the bunch, right? This is actually, so we got to, I'm going to take a quick second here to set it up. So after the, the training montage where Jack is back on the team and Uchiyama is basically saying like, I'm going to get fired. The, the ownership has already said, you're done. You've brought shame to us. You're out, but we haven't got, we're not going to get a new coach yet. So you are going to be the manager, but Jack's benched and you're done. He's like, listen, I, I'm out, you're out. Let's, let's just shake it up. Right. And so Jack's back to play and he, and he's, and he's now with this newfound appreciation and newfound teamwork with the team. They're, they're doing great. They're crushing it. And Jack is crushing it. And he's hitting home runs again and again and again, multiple games in a row. And so now he is on this, this precipice when he's about to face the giants for a chance at the pennant. They, he has one more game. If he hits a home run, he will break Uchiyama's record, his entire record of record. You betcha. Yeah. Home runs in a game. So, or home runs uh, in consecutive games. So that's a huge sort of setup going into this. Both they, they want to win. Obviously it's a heated rival. They've been working together, but there is a bit of personal glory on the line for Jack. And now they, they, we mentioned the setup of the Dodgers are going to be flying out to potentially uh, bring Jack aboard for the stretch run uh, because their first baseman got hurt. Um, so there's this big setup coming into this last game. So uh, Ashley, what, what did you think of this? You know, cause this, this is the most concentrated baseball we have in the movie. We get a lot of bait. There's actually quite a bit of baseball, but it's like kind of in, in bits and starts, but this one, we really get like a, yeah that whole final kind of pennant game is is a huge part of it it's it's really well done like you talked a little bit about the kind of exciting plays that happen the way the team is really coalescing it's cute to see too like the teams really get out of the dugout and they like dance and they do things together and and like the the coach has obviously said that he's into it because he's like let's kick some ass and like in his own uchiyama way and so uchiyama's a little looser he's a little looser it's cute it's the girl's not there because she's decided she doesn't want to be there for the final game because he he's gonna leave and i i liked that there was no there's more to that home run title than just Jack's personal glory or Uchiyama's glory. It was a, a Japanese like record. Like for them as a nation, it was something that they prized that this one player had this record and he's like, you know, held above all else. And I think that there was something to it of the idea of this American coming in and breaking that record. And I think you could see it in the owners of the group where they were like, here's how you're gonna handle this game. And you could see it in everybody on the team going, oh, is he going to do it? Like, oh, like we want him to, but also we don't want him to. And and I thought it was handled really well because it, you're, they do a lot of mirroring in this movie, which we, we talked a little bit about and you mentioned earlier. 
in that when Jack was in his jerk phase, there's a moment where Uchiyama tells him to bunt in a game. And it's like, it's a glory moment. Like he knows he can smash the run in. He knows that he can do well. Third base coach is like, no, here's the signal for bunting. He leaves the box, goes back to the dugout. And he's like, did I read that right? And sure enough, Uchiyama's like, no, we're going to advance the runner. You're going to bunt. And he, he hates it. He goes in for the bunt the first time and does it and hates it. So then he tries to go for the long ball, hits a huge foul, and everybody in the dugout's like, oh, bro, no, 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 no. And then you think maybe he'll be- behave himself the third time out, but no. He he goes, he smashes it huge, and that's where the ownership group is like, he's disrespectful, he doesn't like, he's, you know, you can't manage your team, and, and all of that falls apart. So in this final game, Jack gets up, and he's he's got the opportunity, the home run title's just in front of him, all game, he has been pitched away. So that's the big key yeah. is they even mentioned that the the uh, uh, the the Agaijin, the American player for the Giants at first base, basically says it's like a like a thousand yen for every, for every strike, strike he's thrown. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you do they first he gets intentionally walked, then he gets hit, then he gets intentionally walked, but then he he uh, touches the home plate. He he, he gets a hit up the middle. Cause he, he swings at a pitch out of the, out of the box, but he touches home plate. Yeah. So, so basically it is a sense like the giants are like, they will not throw him a pitch to hit. Yeah. They don't want the American taking the title. They also don't want the strongest hitter on the team being able to, you know, it's, it's two parts. So I, I think that that plays well, but then it's his last chance. It's his last at bat in the whole game. And he gets up there and he kind of sees what's laying out before him and he sees his opportunity and he lays down the bunt. And it's like the team wins. It's a victory moment. It's not a big shining glory moment for Jack, but for the whole team. And Uchiyama gets to maintain his title. And I thought that that was like a really beautiful, like ribbon on the relationship that they'd established on what they'd built together as a team. And it it was a very feel good baseball to watch that whole part because it does make you feel things like it's you're right. Like the baseball in this movie is the romance and Mm -hmm. And it's there's not enough of it. And I think that that's the major problem is that that scene plays so well, you feel really kind of emotional about it and about how everyone kind of comes away a winner without Jack having that big moment of glory with the, you know, giant home run. Um, and I wanted more of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing is every everything in the, the film is interesting in the, the sense that like a lot of the B-roll and shots of Japan are not your typical glamour shots. Like there's no Mount Fuji, there's no Tokyo, there's no bright neon lights. There's no, it's it's a lot of there's like smog and it's. He says even when Yoji picks him up from the airport, he's just like, it looks like Cleveland. I just can't read any of the billboards, <laughs> and I'm that's, just that's like, lot, yeah, it's so perfect. Like, it's I really- I have this yeah I have this joke that every city looks the same if you're in the area immediately surrounding the airport. Like I say every city looks like Calgary, but that only flies in Canada. Like nobody really gets that joke unless you've seen the area around the Calgary airport. But like Cleveland feels like a good like B-roll choice for that joke. It but and that's what I kind of liked about the movie though, in a way, is that it's there there is a lot of kind of almost like a love letter to Japan in the movie, but it's not overly glorified, like 
it, it's it's strangely subdued in that sense where it is just sort of like when they drive out to the country to uh, Uchiyama's uh, to Hiroko's parents in Uchiyama and it's you know the drive out there it's like it's just farmland it's just mm -hmm. normal very typical farmland his his house is gorgeous and the garden is gorgeous but it's it's it doesn't look like it's like some ex incredibly exotic or special cityscape so it it would be very it's a it's interesting that the most um exciting b-roll stuff is baseball and in mm -hmm. the baseball settings and the in the stadiums and stuff so yeah i, I thought all, all of that worked really well i thought the baseball again was shot super well i thought it was uh uh, you know, Dennis Haysbert and Tom Selleck, we mentioned, and, and, and the players, they, they look the part. They, Tom Selleck's batting stance and his swing, it just, it looks like a left-handed power first baseman swing. Like it, it totally works. It, none of it looks, looks fake. The pitchers all look good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really a, a quite a, a well done baseball side of things. And the baseball action works really well. There's nothing that's, that, that plays off absurd and even like the baseball settings uh like the scenarios right because that's that's the thing with a lot of sports movies is setting up the scenarios this one all has very normal like typical baseball stuff that the giants are leading for a good portion of it the the dragons kind of fight their way back a little bit and uh until you know the end where they win on that uh, surprise bunt which would be a very surprise you would not expect uh, Jack Elliott to drop down a bunt. He has tried one bunt and jumped out of the box. The only bunt that they've seen in the entirety of his career in the Nippon League. And you would not expect that. So the defense would be unprepared for that. So I, I thought that, uh, I thought that the baseball just really worked. Like that was the part that really worked in this film uh, to, to like really strong levels. I did think the film from the point where you reveal that Hiroko's dad is Uchiyama and Uchiyama and Jack's like kind of heart to heart on the film. Like is like, it is humming along. Yeah. That's where the pace really figures itself out. It's the stuff leading up to that. It's I think. so long to get to there. Yeah. It's those really boring moments. And I, I always hate, I hate to dig into it, but it's those boring moments between Jack and Hiroko um that really do drag on the first part of the movie like there's the scene where they're out for dinner that scene feels like it takes a half an hour and then it flips to like a nightclub where suddenly like they're sharing a drink and suddenly he's like angry at her over the idea of being in a commercial like it's this like flip of the switch where he's like we're having a nice drink this pretty lady wants to hang out with me but god forbid that she want me to sell a japanese energy drink and he gets up in like a huff and is like angry. And then of course it's the, it's the joke of that scene is that he has to come back to ask her where he lives because he has no idea how to get home. Yeah. And it, it is again, making Jack kind of the butt of the joke, but in, in that scene and the scene where he and Hiroko go to the temple that looks like it's in a mini mall. Um, <laughs> I, I don't understand the layout of that. Like they're in a temple, but it's all like shrouded over and it looks like an indoor mall. I, I don't know if that's how, I don't know if anybody's ever been to Japan and can tell me if they have temples inside shopping centers, I would love to know because that's exactly what it looked like. Um, but he's behaving like a baby in both of those scenes. Like she's trying to like show him 
like, you know, the cultural relevance of what a temple means and how it's not a shrine. It's not, you know, like she's trying to show him the difference of those things and like what you do with the incense and how you, you know, use that to, to soothe your spirit. And he kind of makes a joke of it. And he's like, I figured out what I need from the world and it's a beer. And I'm like, oh, dude, come on. The line ends up working because she she draws him a very hot bath and then they they do it. But can we can we talk about that scene the r- for a second? Because that scene, so that's it's you have one big like sexy long. scene. It's so long. Okay, so there's this this sexy scene, the one sexy scene in the whole film. And I, I want to put that in hair quotes. Uh, thank you. I need you to yes. emphasize that sexy is I was very about, much. I, I, I wanted to know to like be like, am I missing something? Because maybe it's like I'm just not getting the Tom Selleck sex appeal here. But like this scene is set up where like she he, he invites her in for tea and she's like, no, but I'll have another beer. And so they go back to his apartment and or she goes up to his apartment and she's like, I want to draw you a bath. And he's like, I don't like baths. And uh, and then she's like, whatever, please. And so he's like, okay. So he goes in to his incredibly small bathtub. It yeah. just feels very tiny, but, and so he he gets in the bathtub, more Selic buns action. Uh, and then she enters. He seems surprised that she's coming in. What did he think was the setup there? <laughs> I don't, and so he, even in that part of that scene, which again, it feels like it's 45 minutes long. Like it is, <laughs> such a long it's scene. in molasses it is a slow motion and like scene. he's yeah. she's asking him what he wants and like what's important to him what he's what he's most scared of in the world like and there's a part of it she's literally wearing a towel and sitting behind him and like i know that there's like a joke that like two lesbians could be like in bed together and not know that the other one was interested in them because like they're just like are you sure are you sure but like he is naked in a tub and she is sitting behind him in a towel massaging yeah. him yeah. and he is like i'm sure that this is just some innocent japanese ritual but i'm a man and i'm feeling things and then they start making out but i'm like what innocent ritual did you think this was my dude like, it's so strange because we're introduced to him as like a dog yeah. Right. Like he is a he is like a womanizer, confirmed bachelor type. Right. Like that is how we're a character that wakes up in the middle of a sorority house in a sorority dog pile. Basically, is not a character that would be like tentative and shy. Like he grabs a like a small washcloth yeah. to cover himself. It's like what is happening right now? Like when she says, "Can I draw you a bath?" Like I would imagine, like the 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 thing that he would be thinking is like, yeah, here we go. Like this is like that would be his. He's the he's the Yankee. He's the guy that's like probably sleeping around town. How like was his response to that? Like she's like, I've drawn you a bath. How was his response? Not like the, the most jeter thing to be like, are you going to join me? Like yeah, where's the smoothness, Selick? Come on, it, what is happening? It, 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 in this your junk with a face cloth that she's coming in covers is just it's like what is happening right now like what did you expect she's clearly trying to i I, all i kept thinking was like how is she gonna fit in this bathtub it is (laughs) too small for just selling alone and 
Yeah, so it's like, it, but then it's a sl- long scene where you do get this emotional thing where he he talks about how he's like, I'm I'm a ball player. Before I was a ball player, I was a ball player, and and it's this emo. It's a it it's a strange scene to both pack in emotion and sexiness, and it doesn't it it kind of works on the emotional side, but it's so slow, and the sexiness part it just seems weird because so, he seems so hesitant. You what is can... happening in this scene? successfully mirror raw emotional vulnerability with super sexy chemistry the greatest example i can think of is season two of fleabag the confessional sequence if you've watched it you know what i'm talking about and quite frankly i've never in my life vacillated so quickly between sobbing my face off and going whoa andrew scott where have you been all my life but like (laughs) you can do it right like it's very possible to have somebody be vulnerable and open without that being a deterrent to sexual chemistry like but it doesn't work because I don't think you've gotten to a point yet where we care enough about Jack to one care that he finds romance or B really feel that there's an honesty to that confessional sequence, right? Like it's just, he's opening up, but yeah, he's in a bathtub with a lady in a towel behind him. How much of that's guided by what he thinks she wants to hear. And so I just don't think it works and it's too long and it's too much, and it's too completely devoid of any kind of of sexual chemistry. Right. So that's a, that's my question here because I found it not sexy. No. Okay. Good. It's that's it's sexy. not, Confirmed. and I don't think I don't think that's just because I'm not into Tom Selleck. Like I, I think that, that I think he's was, objectively a very handsome man. Even, he's even and at his physique at 47 in that movie. You got to say it's pretty, pretty good. impressive. Pretty good. Good job. Um, yeah, and we see enough of it. Like it's. I'm sorry, Darby. I shouldn't have done that. When you were drinking <laughs> too much. Too much of it. Too much. Um, of it. You see a fair bit of of, of Tom in this, um, but I, I think it just didn't work. I, I never really connected with them as a couple, and mm. I don't know why. I think it, I. I genuinely think it's because I felt like she deserved better than him the entire time. <laughs> And I just couldn't like feel for this smart, well-educated woman with a great job. Clearly, like she's capable of being a sexual aggressor. Like she's a free-thinking, smart, savvy, beautiful woman, and she wants to be with this like giant man baby who thinks he's better than everything in her country. So I think that that just never clicked for me. Like maybe maybe she'll. So at the end of the movie, she's 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 come to America. He is on the Tigers, but as a coach now, he is a uh, manager of the, or at least uh, maybe a bench coach or something, uh, hitting coach or of hitting the coach. Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, one of the kids shows up and calls him chief and he's just gets like this glow about him where he's mm-hmm. just like, what'd you call me? And she's like, sorry, coach. Sorry. And it's like, no, no, you can call me chief. I thought that was cute. I also thought it was very, very fitting for two reasons that he ended up with the Tigers. One, he was facing off against the Tigers in the opening dream sequence where he struck out like seven times. So I thought that that was kind of nice. And at the end, he's not a strikeout. He's part of the team. And of course, I think the biggest reason it makes sense that he ends up with the Tigers is that what is Tom Selleck most iconically known for in his entire life, aside from his mustache? 
It's from being Magnum PI, wearing those Hawaiian shirts, mm. and wearing that Detroit Tigers cap. It's true. So, so I thought that that was like a very nice, like round package. Um, we are going to take another quick, quick break. And then we're going to talk about who we would take for the Rays on our team picks and some final thoughts about the movie. So we'll be right back. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about how well it fit that Selleck ended up being with the Tigers at the end of this movie. And uh, I guess while we were paused, Brett did a little research, which I think uh, gives us a little bit of uh, insight into maybe why Selleck wore that Tigers cap all of Magnum B.I., so it turns out Tom Selleck, as Darby kind of brought to my attention, is from Detroit. And we assumed hey, maybe he's a Tigers fan. Turns out he is. And there's this really cool story from Spring Training 1991. I got a couple paragraphs on it from the Detroit Free Press. So it says, it reads, Tom Selleck doesn't get nervous much. But when the actor spotted Al Kaline coming toward him in the spring of 1991, his stomach began nodding up. He was sitting at his locker stall inside the Detroit Tigers clubhouse in Lakeland, Florida, getting dressed so he could take the field for practice. He was there doing research for a movie called Mr. Baseball. Suddenly, K-Line pulled up a stool to chat. And as I was looking at him, I noticed the players all looking at me, Selleck said, but Al kept talking, asking how I was doing. Right about then, Selleck stuck his foot into a cleat and into a mess of goo. K-Line had come over to distract him. He suckered me, Selleck said. He loved pulling pranks. That was a story from Sean Winder of the Detroit Free Press. And maybe that inspired some of the hot shoe. The shenanigans. Yeah. I would like to believe that. That's that fantastic. Funny. Al Kaline, you dog. You I'm going to have to look it. into that a little more and maybe write something about it for BYB because that is funny. Funny. That is we will cool. link that story uh, in the uh, write-up for, for this podcast. Oh, That's man. Really cool. Sorry. So, We're going to have to pull up. I just pulled up the IMDb trivia page on this, and there's actually some good stuff in here. Um, apparently, Nolan Ryan pitched to Tom Selleck so he would have the experience of a 100-mile-per-hour baseball headed straight at him. That's just terrifying. Um, yeah, it talks a little bit about the Magnum PI connection. No, uh, no wonder he looks oh, the part. So if he's uh, Nolan Ryan, you'd, you'd look the part. While preparing for the movie, Selleck spent time with the Tigers during 1991 spring training. He was even brought into a game as a late-inning pinch hitter, managing to fall, foul off one pitch before striking out. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. So Tom Selleck, great, you know, huge Tigers fan. That I... I it makes sense seeing the fact that the Tigers are the team he's with at the end and the Magnum PI thing. I always am a big fan of when actors kind of are like actors and actresses have like a, a fandom and then they're like, can I just my character like this thing? You know, whether it, it makes sense or not, I just I would like this in there. Um, I think that's always fun. So that's that's really I like that story. Like, that's a cute. Thanks for finding that, Brett. That's amazing, um, Brett. I love that as a good wrap up. So, so yeah, that's a, we, we get, that's a good opportunity talking about a real life legend of Al Kaline to cinema legends. Who do we take for the Rays in this movie? Who do we add from Mr. Baseball to this movie? I am going to have the cop-out answer and it's not taking anybody famous and it's not doing anything we've kind of cheated our way through in the past, but I am not going to take a player. 
I'm going to take our lovely interpreter, Yoji, because I am of the genuine belief, praise Manny, that a good interpreter is an absolutely essential part of a clubhouse dynamic, and Yoji is a gift, and I am taking Yoji, the Japanese interpreter. There you go. I, I like that pick. We, you know, there's always some talented Japanese players coming over, so that, that sets you up. We have Yoshi Sutsugo right now. Going forward, who knows who else will be joining the Rays, so. I mean, Shohei Otani is going to be a free agent one day, my friends. There you go. Um, Brett, I don't know. I, I, he, we talked earlier before the show started, and there was a both a wry smile on both of our faces. And I'm curious if we're both going to take the same, somewhat cheaty, but but also very accurate in the film answer. I don't think it's cheating. I mean, he is in the film, if not for just a short period of time. The rookie in the movie who I was shocked to see in a New York Yankees uniform. The a big Hulk hurt. of a man. A Hulk of a man, yes. <laughs> Frank Thomas, who two-time American League MVP for the Chicago White Sox. I mean... Wait, that's uh, who played the rookie? I didn't yes. even look at it. I saw. That I had to look it up. Nice. I saw it and I was like, that looks like Frank Thomas. There's oh. a very distinctive body type of Frank Thomas, which is a, a tree trunk. It is amazing. So this film was shot. Uh, well, it must. It came out in ninety two, so it must have been shot in like ninety one. During that season, that is Frank Thomas's first seven win season. I say first because he has several more. He that is just the start of a long and amazing career. So I was going to take Frank Thomas, and I think that is probably the best answer because you add a Hall of Fame first base slash DH. That's a good answer. I did just look up pictures of Frank Thomas just because I wanted to like visualize it. And tree trunk is a really good way to describe Frank Thomas's body. So on on like the the playoff show, you know, he it's it's him and and uh, David Ortiz and A Rod. These are big people. David Ortiz, big poppy, looks like a small child compared to Frank (laughs) Thomas. Like Frank Thomas is a massive man what a powerful you know multiple time uh like 40 home run just great hitter unbelievably pure hitter but yeah when you make david ortiz look like a tiny tiny person that's uh gosh that's so funny so there is a collectible baseball card that was released i'm guessing right around the the time of, of this film of tom Selleck in his yankees uniform of Jack Elliott, but it's it's a Tom Selleck baseball card. And in the background of that card, very clearly, is Frank Thomas, also in Yankee uniform. Like, while he's playing on the White Sox, while he's in the prime years of his career, career on the Chicago White Sox, I'm a little shocked that the White Sox, like, let this fly and let their star <laughs> first baseman or whatever position, he, I don't know what position he played at the start of his career, be in this film as a New York Yankee. I mean, in that fairness, his, his debut was in 1990. And this movie was filmed in 1991. So, I mean, I don't think that he was quite yet the Hall of Fame Frank Thomas that he became, right? So, like, 91 was that breakout year, though. So, maybe getting in this movie uh, helped because he hit 32 home runs, drove in 109 runs, led all of baseball with a 1,006 OPS and a 180 OPS plus, finished third in MVP voting and won the Silver Slugger in the American League. For his career, this is also just I, Frank Thomas fun facts hour now. For his career, he had more walks than strikeouts 
in the 90% of his, his uh, seasons. And his, for his career, it was 16.5% walk rate, 13.9% K rate. For a slugger, for a power hitter, that is wild. unbelievable. Unbelievable. Frank Thomas, amazing. Great pick, Brett. That, is, that was who I was going to pick. But I do think there is another good option here. And nobody is picking Mr. Baseball. And for good reason. He's old and washed up and he has bad knees. Like, he's clearly not a good choice. And I don't know if he's a good manager. Uh, I still feel like he's probably not. But there is a player who you get, there's a little bit of a swerve, another twist in it, where the Dodgers come out looking for a, 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 a hitter, a power hitter to fill in. Uh, weird that you go to the Japanese baseball leagues to fill in for the end of a season for a power hitter. Like, it's very strange. Call up somebody. What are you doing over there? Service time manipulation in the 90s? What's going on? <laughs> uh, but they do go over there and they are scouting. And it's led to believe you're, they're scouting uh, Jack Elliott. But the person that they do sign with the Dodgers is Max the Hammer Dubois, Dennis Haysford. Uh, Mr. State Farm himself. Uh, I'm going to take Max the Hammer Dubois. Good power hitter. Uh, we've He definitely has some good speed and wheels. We saw him take some extra bases. Uh, solid, solid addition to the team. And unlike Jack, a really good team player. Yes. He, he was able to fit into a clubhouse. He is the only... American on the team for probably a while that is a tough uh setting to be in and he incorporated himself well so I think he would make a great addition uh to the Tampa Bay Rays so I'm gonna take Max I like it it's a good move I think uh all spectacular picks I think can't can't go too wrong uh, well, I think that kind of wraps it up for our discussion of Mr. Baseball, which I think is, finds itself seated very nicely right in the middle um, of our general rankings of movies that we have watched. Probably a hair above Airbud. Uh, <laughs> definitely one to watch if you kind of see it come on MLB Network or it's I think it's streaming for free on Peacock in the States. Um, is Peacock free? I don't know. We don't have that here. <laughs> I'm not sure either. I don't, I just watched it on Peacock, but it might've been through my mom's login uh, because moms do love, oh, there you go. Moms do love Tom Selleck. So that's probably why Peacock's, that's the reason they got it. was like, they were like, we need Magnum PI and Mr. Baseball and this, we can survive. So NBC Universal, if you get any more subscriptions for anybody looking to watch Mr. Baseball, you can send the checks our way. (laughs) Send the royalties on down. Uh, We're helping you guys market all of your baseball content. Look at us go. I I think this movie also, one of the things that, uh, one last thing I'll say is that it does make me feel like there, there is a really great movie to be had with an American player going to play in the Nippon League or the KBO. And and a you can make it a, a fairly, you know, serious drama uh, or dramedy even where you have like maybe a family going over like a player and, and his family and or, or just kind of adapting to a new style. But like, I think there is a fantastically rich, interesting um, fish out of water drama to be had in that setting because Man, oh man, the atmosphere 
in those stadiums and the love and passion for baseball that those those countries have is electric and so i i would love to see if somebody was saying they're making a film about that i would be all about that i feel like every one of these episodes is going to end with us deciding how to make a better version of the movie that we would rather see instead i uh, i think that that's how we've kind of crafted this is well if i were writing that movie it would be like this and it'd that's... just be a sequel mr baseball 2 yeah we could find jack's son <laughs> has now kind of decided to test his metal and, you know, head over to the KBO or something like that. As Oh, gosh. I hate it when we do this because I want to see the movies that we come up with. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just like, have to write one ourselves. We might have to, guys. I don't know. We keep joking about it, but the more it happens, I'm like, hey, that would be really interesting, actually. Knowing us, it'll be an Air Bud sequel. Uh, <laughs> we could have done that one so much better. <laughs> Truly. I don't know, guys. I know people that are like in the industry with like Hallmark and stuff like that. I could probably like, there you go. anyway. Um, grab a dog and make this happen. <laughs> as long as that dog can play seven other dogs, we're in great shape. <laughs> um, all right, guys, that's it for us this week. Uh, we will put up another poll probably sometime before you even hear this um, that will help decide what we watch next because we have to come up with ideas and uh, we make you punish us uh, accordingly. And uh, not a bad choice this time around. I think that this may be one of the nicer episodes that we've had. So not great, not horrible, definitely not a bad way to spend less than two hours of your time. Uh, is kind of our general summary of Mr. Baseball. So with that, we bid you good day. This has been Who's on Worst. I'm Ashley, and you've been joined by Darby and Brett. Have a great one, guys. Bye.